everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also partnered with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is military artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Basically, what they're doing is using collared deer studies and millions, if not billions, of data points to predict when and where the deer are going to move based on moon, weather, wind, all of those types of things uh, to save your precious time. So we all don't have that much time you know, to just go out uh, with families and everything like that. So basically Spartan Forge gives you an opportunity to look ahead of time and say, this is where the deer are going to be. This is how they're moving. Um, really great information. It's just another tool. I hate the the tool in your toolbox type thing because um, I just think that that's a little bit too cliche. But it's also mapping software. So one of the things we've been talking about within our Patreon group lately is like the actual deer, like, tr- like tracking, like your track when you're going in using your mapping software. One of the cool things about Spartan Forge is it has like real time turn by turn. And we've talked about this with um, Ed from Basemap. We talked about it a few different times. Spartan Forge is a series of a whole bunch of dots that show exactly where you have been and it's really really pretty cool it doesn't take any shortcuts and just create the lines it's uh, you'll have to check it out it is back available on the app store and google play it was in beta and now they've taken the information from those beta testers the guys that got in and have kind of they're working out the bugs and they've got it up so you can check that out at spartanforge.ai and one of the other things that i really like about it i've got it written down here is that it's got five different maps so different satellite images for different times of the year right built into the app so no more going from uh, while you're in the field you're able to kind of do some of the stuff that you may have done on the the computer so being able to switch and see what that tree looks like at this time of year, what that swamp looks like. Is that cattails? Is it grass? What is it? Uh, Looking at deer trails. Uh, One of the other features that I really like about it. So you can check them out at spartanforge.ai or now you can check them out. You know, just go to the iTunes or wherever. I don't know what's called the Apple store or the the Play store. So uh, check them out. This week's podcast we're talking with Jared Van Hees from the Habitat Podcast. Um, Jared killed a really nice, I think he said it was like 130-some inch buck uh, early in October and uh, tried to get him on. He was going to be in Ohio hunting. I was in Wisconsin. In the interim, he ended up leaving Ohio, went home because the trail cameras were were hitting, and killed another buck. So he's tagged out in Michigan and I think I joke about it in the podcast, like about th- with 400 inches of, of Michigan whitetail, but I think it's like 270, something like that. He killed another uh, very similar buck. Uh, I think they're both nine points um, scoring somewhere in the neighborhood of 130, 135 inch 
deer uh, off of 15 acres. And we talk about why he picked that 15 acres, how he's got it set up, and the things that help that little piece of property to be successful and kind of like what we can do if we've got that little home piece and we want to maximize the deer that are on there. Uh, really informative, fun, very nice, like seamless podcast. Uh, want to do some quick shout outs before we get into it. Um, John O'Bannon, Alex Blue, and Matt, who went on the elk hunt. You heard about him in that Colorado elk hunt. Uh, they all harvested deer over this past week. Uh, Matt, he he's the one who uh, hit the elk, didn't find it, missed it. I know he's sure going to love me reiterating that, but they all uh, shot deer this week. And then the guys uh, are releasing more arrows over there, Robbie and the boys at Knox and Hooks Outdoors. Um, you need to go check them out on Instagram or wherever. But, um, yeah, they're all within our, our Patreon group, and Patreon is crowdfunding for creators, right? So basically that helps me to be able to um, pay the bills. So the hosting uh, paying for music, paying for uh, all the things, the costs incurred with the podcast, and then we try and give back as much as we can. Uh, Spartan Ford, Zinger Fletchings, they all uh, donate. We have giveaways from them, from Tacticam. Uh, I think it's going to be another one of the solo packages uh, for this fourth quarter. So Tacticam solo package, and then we use whatever money that we've got left over, whatever we can throw at the podcast. And we're going to do a podcast here coming up because it seems to be one of the the questions that we get the most or that we see posted a lot is like saddle hunting, what's the best pack? So um, I want to give away uh, a couple of packs. I think we're going to give away one of the, the new Badlands packs that Alex was talking about on the last Latitude po podcast, as well as one of the Everly Stock X2s. So I think we're going to give one of those away. And then I want to give away a trophy line pack, and we will do that here pretty soon. Um, I just need to make sure that they're going to be available. Um, that's the only thing. But we're going to go through some of those packs, John and I, what we've used. And John's been using the K's pack as well as the Everly Stock X2. I was using the Plateau pack from Trophy Line as well as the my Badland Super Day pack, and that has, it's that's okay, but the new one that Alex was talking about, uh, Badlands really kind of stepped it up there, and uh, I want to check that pack out, so I'm going to buy one um, to check out and then give away. And so if you guys want to check that out, you can go to patreon.com forward slash podcast. Links are on our website, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com, or on Instagram in the link tree up there. But if that, if not, if Patreon's not for you, no big deal. We appreciate everyone listening, and you know, just do us a favor: leave us a review on iTunes. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell me that I'm saying um too much. I'm still waiting for an email, um, Christographer. I got a shirt and some stuff ready for you. Um, just <laughs> shoot me an email, Adam at BowhunterChroniclesPodcast.com, and I'll get that sent out to you when I sent out the swag packs for all the new Patreons. But uh, if not, just tell a friend. Tell somebody else like that might have, uh, for this podcast, that might have 
10 acres and they've been trying to do food plots, they've been trying to manage their deer and it's just not helping or they're not seeing the results that they want, tell them to check it out. Uh, We really appreciate it. And I think you guys are going to like this one. It was a fun episode for me. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. I was going to have John here, but uh, my wife decided that she wanted to go ahead and catch COVID. So she's upstairs. <laughs> and oh uh, I, got, I got tested today. I was negative. But uh, it's some sort of a miracle, divine intervention um, of sorts. Um, but yeah, so it's just me talking with uh, the Habitat podcast, Jared Van Hees, who has had an incredible season this year on his 15-acre private piece set up strictly for deer hunting. And we're going to try and unwrap that and figure out, uh, you know, how do you do that? And I haven't seen anything that says uh, these deer scored this. I'm sure um, we'll get into that. And like the title of the podcast is going to be like 400 inches of deer off 15 acres in Michigan or half that or something. But these aren't two spikes or anything. These are two really respectable deer. Um, I think no matter where you hunt and uh, everything that Jared's put into this, um, I don't think uh, anybody can, can discount and you could hardly look for a, a better outcome, I would say. Um, so Jared, how are you doing this evening and how was that, uh, that lead up? What do you think? I think you knocked it out of the park, bud. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm doing great. If you see me drinking a beer or two over here, it's cause I'm, I'm still celebrating. Um, and you know, good to see you again. It's been a while. Last time I think we actually got to hang out together was up at a uh, TAC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, it's been a while, man. You look good. Glad you're healthy and good. I also had the, the VID a little while back, got through that right. Um, before hunting season and, uh, been good, been busy. Um, some kid sicknesses and stuff going around. We've just been, it's been an unreal last five or six weeks, but, uh, God is good. I'm blessed. We're, we're doing well. Um, and yeah, happy to talk to you. Very pumped up. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, um, for people that aren't familiar with you or the Habitat podcast or your YouTube channel or any of the things that you've been doing, um, you know, let's give us a little rundown. Like what's your, your hunting history? Who are you? What are you doing? Sure. No, thank you. I, uh, Jared Van Hees. I am 34, Michigan resident, lived here my whole life. Um, grew up in Grand Haven, not down the, not far down the road from where you're at. Um, hunted growing up in Hesperia, shot my first buck in Hesperia on state land. Again, right down the road from where you're at. Uh, I feel like we uh, can commiserate together on a lot of things. Um, I really got serious about hunting in college, went to Central Michigan, and there are a lot of deer up that way, and I really learned what not to do in those five years at college there and the, the extra, the extra year. And, um, after that, it's been really kind of a, an uphill, just, just hike up the mountain, if you will, just really getting into more challenging stuff, um, challenging myself and just getting more obsessed down this rabbit hole. Um, if you ask my wife, I'm sure she could tell you all about it. And it's, uh, it's just, it's been fun. Um, I let's see. I mainly like to bow hunt, but I 
gun hunt. I muzzle order hunt. I go out of state. I do it all. I duck hunt. Um, I'm just a passionate outdoorsman. We camp with the family, fish, all that stuff. But the main thing is whitetails and habitat work. Um, and when I say habitat work, I mean, I like to improve land and make it better for hunting. So you can actually, you can actually have a say in how your hunting goes, not just have to go find a new spot. You can change that on your own property. And that's where I always thought it was pretty intriguing. Um, so after following along on some websites for a while on that, I started a podcast about it. Uh, I bought my own 15 acres about five years ago. And I should say, hey, it's my fifth season this year. So, and uh, I've been learning ever since um, the podcast has been awesome. As you know, as you know, we, we like to podcast. We like to talk about this stuff. It's kind of who we are. And um, I'm on, let's see, episode 150 something there. Um, all free habitat information, you know, guys who like to food plot, hinge cut, just make, just make your land better. It could be for deer, which is our main focus, um, bow hunting setups. It could be for turkey or talk butterfly habitat, upland bird habitat. We've talked about all of it, pond habitat, but the main thing is deer hunting. And we can relate that to private land public land, whatever type of habitat you need to be focusing on, depending on where you're at, what time of year, going out of state, what to look for, that whole thing. So it's kind of who I am. I have a, a wife and three kids, twin uh, seven-year-old daughters and a three-year-old boy. Um, dog. Yeah, we're just, we're busy, man. We, we live fast over here. So we're just, I just had a cup of coffee before we sat down and it's nine o'clock at night and it's just another day. So Keep turning and burning. For sure. Um, with the like the habitat stuff, like how did you get into like wanting to go down that road? I think, you know, it, it's easy to look at, you know, if 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 you still watch any uh outdoor channel or whatever, you know, you see them out there and they give you the maybe the one minute montage of they go out there with a rake and they do this or they spray and they're riding around on their ATVs and they come back with a tractor and then, you know, it, it flips ahead six months and then there's deer in there and it's knee high clover and, and all of these things. And it looks so easy. And then when you, I mean, at least for me, like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to get some throw and go grow and throw it out there. And then, then nothing happens or it rains a whole lot and washes away all your seed or there's no rain at all. And the birds eat everything and fly away with it. And you're like, well, but the montage showed it just being like this. So how did you get into it? And I guess maybe more importantly, like how did you stick with it? <laughs> great, great question. Um, I think it's a combination of always wanting to own land and then like, you know, I love to grow things, garden, um, trees, whatever. So, you know, my, my family, we never had any of our own private property. I grew up and cut my teeth on state land, um, Manistee national forest and never, never had private. A friend of mine, um, was in the Marine Marine Corps, by the way, happy veterans day. Thank you for your service. I want to make sure I said that to you tonight. Of course. Um, we really su support the veterans. Um, and, and that is, so my, my buddy Ruben, he was a Marine Corps scout sniper. He, we would hunt, we grew up hunting together. Um, he's like my other half when we were kids, we hunt his grandma's 50 acres in Fremont. And that was unreal. The amount of deer, the, 
the pressure was low. It was crazy. So I always had this goal in mind, like, Hey, I want to, I want to own something someday, have my own cabin, bring the family up there, family camp, you know, all that. So that's kind of where it started. I started watching, um, QDMA used to have a forum, um, where it was all habitat stuff and guys would buy their farm. So say Adam, you bought 40 acres. Here's what it looks like today, 1995 or whatever. And then they'd slowly document as the years went on all the work they did and take pictures. And then, you know, three years later, you have a, a 50 page forum and you just go, you're just seeing results and it just is very neat to watch other people do what I do now. And I just, I was intrigued every night, you know, sitting there on the laptop, just watching these people with their properties all over the, the country. Well, that kind of got me hooked on the habitat thing. And then I bought 15 acres and I kind of have a terrible memory. So I couldn't remember all the stuff I was reading all the time. So I'm like, you know what? I like podcasts. There's not a habitat podcast out there that I know of. I'll start one. And that way I can interview all these people. Remember, go back and listen to it over and over again, if I have to. And that's kind of where that started. Um, and then once you start seeing results from the hard work you put in, you start seeing your deer hitting your clover or, or, your, or they're hitting the, the pinch point that you created with funneling with trees or, or miscanthus or switchgrass. That's when you're like, okay, I did that right. Awesome. And it gives you like a little boost, right? This little just inkling of I'm doing that right. Okay. I'm doing that right. Oh, they didn't like that. So it's, it's more of like a strategy. Um, my buddy Jake says it's like deer hunting all year round. Cause you can, as soon as the season's over, we're in the woods with chainsaws making deer habitat January 1st. And then, you know, by you know October 1st gets here, you have to set all the, all the tools down and start hunting. And it's kind of like, okay, well that's done. But then you sit there during hunting season and go, man, I should have done that. I wish I would have done that. So it's, it's just, your mind never stops working. That's probably why I keep going just cause, uh, the results are, are there, you know? Okay. So what do you, it's funny because I've said this to, uh, m multiple people. I, obviously, if you listen to the podcast for a while, um, we hunt mostly public land. My family does have 240 acres up in the UP. The issue is, is a, it's seven hours to get there. Mm. Okay. I can, and the hunting is marginal at best. And I can be in Ohio to where there's giants at, around every corner. You can't, you can't even not step on one. Um, and we'll get into your Ohio trip uh, to, this year to uh, yeah. maybe uh, discount that, that a little yeah, bit. I didn't, I didn't step on any. <laughs> but, um, it, but, you know, so to drive up there to put in all of that work, I feel like, and I've said this, and maybe other guys feel the same way, is that I would rather fail on public land than put a whole bunch of work into something and then still fail. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so you've got your dollars, your time, you know, drive time, sweat equity, chainsaw gas, you know, all of the all the things. And then, you know, I guess I'm just not that confident in my ability to keep deer, hold deer. Um, and that's why your story, you know, here is so interesting to me because 
like, even when you say like, I want to buy a property, I would like to have a property. You said, okay, from your QDMA uh, forum, you said, Adam, you bought 40 acres. Okay. That would be the quintessential Michigan deer camp and you have 15 acres. So to, to go and do that and say the property that I'm going to hang my hat on where I'm going to say, this is where I'm going to stake my claim as a habitat manager, as a hunter is going to be 15 acres. Now, if you were, um, you know, Lee Lukoski or a Drury, or if you were uh, Jeff Sturgis or something, you know, those guys I'm sure would say, I know exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and, and why, and I can make any property because they've done it before. But for someone that's coming at it from the first time, how did you land on a 15 acres as, you know, what you were going to use? Why did you choose that property? And, and, you know, how is in your mind or was in your mind at the time, 15 acres enough property? Yeah, oh, great point. And, uh, it, I wasn't sure that it was to be completely honest with you. I, I could afford it. That was one thing. Um, I walked around a bunch of property, eh, not, not a bunch. I cyber scouted a bunch that were for sale listings. This was back in 16, 17. Um, and then I watched probably four or five with a realtor. And I just, I don't know, wasn't, wasn't what I wanted. Wasn't clicking a little high in price. These were 40 acre pieces, you know, 30 acre pieces. Um, this one was this 15 that I bought, uh, you know, it, it is enough to do stuff on, obviously, which you'll, you'll hear later in the, the show here. But I mean, I still today would rather have 40, 80, 120, right? Like who wouldn't, but I could afford it at a young family. Um, I pissed the wife off just enough to where I could get it bought. <laughs> and, uh, and she let us, she let it go. And um, it was next to a large swamp here in Michigan. That was huge for me. Um, that was one of my main requirements was cover nearby. And I don't want cover. Somebody can just go walk through. I want cover cover. That was one requirement. Two was I wanted my access where I parked my car, where I built my cabin, where I parked my camp or whatever I was going to do in the future. I wanted that to be on the east side. We have predominantly west winds. So to me, that made sense. Um, and then lastly, I wanted it to be in a cooperative. And uh, this one was in the outskirts of a cooperative. The neighbor had a sign up. So all good signs. I walked it in the wintertime and saw some sign. Um, the, mo the most sign I had seen from all the other properties, um, but still not very much. And uh, I thought, you know what? Let's try it. I'll, I'll figure it out. And I'm, I'm kind of stubborn or ambitious, or I'm not sure what you want to call it, but I, I figured like, I'll, if it doesn't work, I'll sell it. Right. It's an asset. Land is an, is an asset. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to decrease in value. So that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, did I know what I could do with it to this point at this time? No, to be completely honest, but I didn't know that much about habitat in general back then either. So it's really been my proving grounds, if you will, or my, my learning experience, um, as well as a pretty, pretty cherry piece of hunting property right now. And so you buy this piece of property 
what is the first thing that you decided that you were going to do? Was it like, I need to put, I mean, oh, all right. So let's step back. Just one. What's one the lo- first thing that everybody wants to do? I don't have a bonfire, drink a whole bunch of beer. Um, oh, true. That's true. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> like, I, I think that's probably the first thing that you would do, um, <laughs> you know, um, but let's back up just a little bit. So th- th- that access thing is something that I would never have thought of. Um, the swamp, I can, I can understand that completely. Um, and A, is it like surrounded by public and B, is there like, um, you know, is this in an area where there's a bunch of ag or there's a bunch of food around? So you don't necessarily have to provide that for the deer. So public is not very close by, um, it's all private. It's in Jackson County, Michigan. That's a plus, right? We've all heard about that growing up. At least I did. Um, so I wanted to be in the right neighborhood as well. That's a good requirement to to put on your list. Make sure you're in a good neighborhood. And then the food was not very close by. Um, still to this day, the nearest cornfield is probably a mile away. Um, it just becomes a lot of timber and then it gets down to the swamp. And on you know on the other side a mile down it's all fields all corn and that's where a lot of my deer are my bucks especially most of the year like I like the bucks that I hunt they they don't come back every year they're almost always different I don't know if that's because they're getting shot in Michigan or they're just roamers or what I don't think they're all roamers you think some would live there um, but they don't they don't show up till they start getting pressured everywhere else and that's what I've learned did I know that at the time no. I just knew that swamp was nearby and I should have a good wind most of the time for what I want to do. Um, quick tip. What I've learned is setting up your access on a property should be like, you know, very important versus how close to a cornfield you are. Okay. Well, I was just thinking that in terms of like these next questions, because like, as sure, you set up yeah, your, your, you know, if you were set up in your, there was a swamp, there was your piece of property. There's beans on one side and corn on the other side. Like you, story. you putting in a food plot might not be like the first thing or maybe not be that beneficial. You might want to focus on other things. Um, so, so knowing what, what you've just laid out now, um, as you get in there. So what's the first thing that you do after your bonfire? What did you talk about sure. at your bonfire drinking sure. and what you're going to do in the morning? <laughs> well, we probably talked about how many beers we could drink that night and that whole thing. But uh, the first, very first thing I did was get a, a skid steer out there with a brush hog and start mowing down, you know, two acres for a food plot or a couple food plots. Um, worst decision I ever did out there. But I didn't know that at the time. Um, and we buzzed it all down. It looked really nice. Food came in great. But, uh, Got that thing stuck in the mud, sank the skid steer up to the freaking steering wheel and that thing, um, or the the sticks, and had to get a, a wrecker come out. So I, I met my neighbors that day by asking them if I can take a wrecker through their property. Um, don't recommend that either. Um, <laughs> got the neighbor's truck stuck, trying to use his truck to pull it out. So that's another, that was a different neighbor. So now I'm I'm really making friends. Um, but so that's what I did. First thing was cut cut all the brush down in the area where I could plant and then plant food very first thing. And I have, um, and like you said, 
depending on where it's at, food is important. We have to figure out what is the largest need on your property. Every property is different. If I had corn on one side, beans on the other, food would not be as important. Um, I have uh, that swamp there. So I'm trying to get them to hit that first on the way because they still go to the corn and beans a mile down the road. They still go that way every night. But at that time, I thought food plot, food plot, food plot, and mowed it all down. And I've spent every minute trying to grow cover back up since then. Okay. So once you figured that out, let's, like, let's go through the progression of the, the, the whole thing. And then maybe we can go back to if Jared were to do it again. Sure. Okay. Time for. So, so basically we, we, I planted, um, saw, you know, just had a wide open view of everything. I could see a long ways. I've always grown up thinking that, you know, I go in some woods, I get up on a hilltop, look down over a big hill with a rifle in hand. And, and that's a good spot. Um, so I hunted that way for a, a couple of years, but the first thing I did that very first year, I learned from a friend of mine, um, who's been hunting a long time. He said, uh, you know, I don't walk on my property to hunt at all until late October. I'm like, at all? He's like, not, not one bit. These Michigan deer are crazy. Don't let them know you're hunting them. And so I took that to heart year one. And I didn't hunt my first property that I ever bought. I did all this work on all summer. I didn't hunt it till the 26th of October for the first time. And that night I had an eight point that I passed, a nice two-year-old. And then um, I railed him back in after he left. I was just getting kind of aggressive, trying some stuff out. And I thought, holy crap, what did I, you know, this place is awesome. Um, it's in a good area, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that. But what I, what I learned after that was, okay, low pressure is really, is really helping. So I, I hunt, I've hunted it carefully ever since I've owned it. I've never gone willy nilly out there. Um, so that, that really hasn't progressed or changed too much. Um, and then, you know, I set up blinds and tree stands and everything everywhere else. And pretty much just thought it was just my, my Michigan luck, you know, not seeing a buck that I wanted to shoot. So I shot, I ended up hunting that first year, my third sit, I shot, um, a 10 point and liver shot it and ran way out in the swamp and I'm getting a dog, getting at the whole thing celebration. But what I did to find that, that spot where I hung that stand that day, when I first bought the property, I walked around with a notepad and drew a, on a pencil, on a piece of paper where every deer trail was. And you start to zoom out a little bit and get this picture, this paper, a lot of those deer trails sort of zooming in and pinching down right in this one spot. Well, I've killed like every deer, but one out of that, out of that little pinch right there or seeing them, or it's just a, a good spot. Um, that's kind of what I started on, what I, what I relied on for the first couple of years, but I couldn't, I couldn't start timing the bucks. I couldn't catch up with the bucks. I wanted to catch up, you know, year two and three. So you know, we shot some does out there. I had a ton of camera pictures, but young kids, I just, I wasn't out there as much and, um, had some trouble catching up with them, you know? Sure. And so, um, you did the food plots. You thought, damn, that was a mistake. Um, and you said, now, okay, now you're doing whitetail 
12 months out of the year. January 1st, season's over. What did you do then? First year, second year, et cetera. Sure. So let me go back real quick. The food plot was a mistake. The only reason because it was huge, wide open, and a deer can walk out to the edge of it 10 yards in the woods and see all the way across it, see that there's no, you know, a buck could see if there's no other does out there or anything, turn around and head the other way. Um, and they like those types of fields, those cut corn fields. They like that stuff at night in the dark. It's when the bucks that I want to shoot feel safe. So I started learning that. And then I started um, building cover. I've tried everything from you know, year one. We started planting willow trees, hybrid willow trees. Uh, they grow pretty quick and try to make some cover. Well, those all died because it wasn't, wasn't wet enough. Uh, I think I have one or two that lived out of like a hundred. Um, like I've literally done everything wrong already to learn <laughs> in, in the past five years. And then we started adding miscanthus grass, which is a, an, like a grass that grows 10, 12, 15 feet over a couple of years and had a bunch of that in there. Um, when there were some chainsaws year one, year two, did some hinge cutting in certain areas. Uh, kind of by the road where I parked to block my parking area from, from the deer. And uh, I realized like year two, year three, that my woods were way too open in the back. So after hunting there a year or two, that progression moved into, okay, I can see across my whole property come November, even December, you can see all the way across. And um, deer don't like that. You know, they, they, they need security cover. And that's when I started getting the saw out more and dropping trees, um, hired a logger or a, a forester and then did that. That was, I think he finally, we finally got the bid in and cut. That was last year. So 2020, September, 2020, they finally cut my backwoods. So, so define that uh, process for me. Cause I mean, sure. I, I listened to, um, last year, it was super informative. Uh, you had maybe the guy that you, you, you used but uh, you had a forester on the show and yeah. that is super interesting from like a like a real habitat um perspective but like so talk about what it is to like hire a forester or the processor or, or what sure. he is actually doing there sure yeah so depending on what your goals are um my goal was habitat and whitetail uh some people like to grow timber right? You go up north, a lot of sugar maple and whatnot people grow or pine stands, depending on what your goal is, whether it's timber or habitat are usually the two things. Mine was strictly to hold more deer, make better hunting, always has been. And so he was nice enough to work with me and say, hey, I get that. We can achieve that goal. Um, your eight acres is not a very big area back here to get logged. It's wet. And it's already been logged before you bought the property. They took the really big trees out before I bought it. So I knew I wasn't going to make very much money at all, but um, it was safer than me going in there with a chainsaw and dropping 150 big oak trees. So he came out, we walked the place. He gave me a, a proposal on kind of what he was going to do, which is pretty much make a prospectus and send it out to different loggers. They have like a, you know, a certain couple of months to bid on it and send me a quote or send him a quote, I should say. And then we pick one or the, the bids came back so low. We waited another year and we sent it out again, came back low again. But 
Then what you do, once you identify the team you're going to go with, then he sets up with that team a plan on how they're going to go in there, which trees they're going to take, how they're going to leave it for you, not going to leave a mess or, or maybe you know, a bunch of ruts, um, and just make sure that you're happy and satisfied when you're done. And then you get paid. Uh, he takes his cut and I get mine. And then your woods are, you know, and the loggers take their trees and go bring them to the mill and make, make more money. So that's how that whole thing is done that they were in there for a couple of weeks. It was a mess, a lot of noise. Um, but we'll get you in the story later. The deer are using the heck out of it already. Um, so it's, it's not a hard thing to do. It's honestly one of the most common issues that I see when we walk properties for our, our clients. We, we help out on people's properties called our land plans. And, uh, Honestly, the most the most common thing I see is an open woods park like setting where you can see all the way through it, and um, that's what mine was like, you know. So, I, hindsight being twenty twenty, I should have done that right off the bat. I didn't know. So, okay, yeah. So you said you you hired a forester. He came in. I, I stopped you in the middle of the story because I wanted to know like what that process was. Sure. So, so Don't help me out here. Good. So, so once the the forester comes in, you get that all done. Then what? then how do you proceed from there? So the way that I had them lay the logging roads out, they created kind of a pinch point. They, they went into my woods and they split off in three or four different directions. And um, I, all I did was say, don't touch the tops, leave the, the tops of the trees. They take the big pole logs, the, the valuable ones, and they leave the tops. And I said, just leave the tops. And then, um, you know, haul your stuff out and just use the one road in and then you can branch out from there when you get in there further. And then, yeah, they were there a couple of weeks right before deer season last year and, and they were gone. Um, after that, you let mother nature take over, you know, you can go in there and clean up some of the areas. If you want to cut some trails, you know, if, if there's a wall of treetops that a deer can't get through, I'll go in there and cut trails through there, manicured a little bit so they can get around in there. Um, other than that, though, you you wait for the sunlight to hit the forest floor and then the regeneration to come up, which creates food, cover, security, um, everything else. And then those treetops that are laying there as they biodegrade, um, they are cover. You know, you take a, a 50 foot crown on an oak tree and tip it on its side. Well, that's a pretty big brush pile for a year or two before it kind of falls apart, you know, so. That I said, leave the tops, and it's just a mess. It's a mess back there. So, what I've done since then, nothing. Let it grow. And is that the um, state that it's in right now today? Yep. Yep. The only thing I did do was I went and threw some clover and stuff down on their logging trails where they drove through, but it's all underwater this year. So, none of that survived this year. But last year was really cool looking. Um, you just imagine all these big treetops and brush and then these green neon green clover trails winding through them all and around them all. Uh, it's pretty, pretty beautiful. But this year, yeah, this year it's just, they're kind of, all the leaves have kind of starting to fall off them more. They're starting to fall down a little bit and just um, degrade and, or decompose, I should say. And then, uh, yeah, I haven't done anything back there except for stay out of it. Okay. And so in that from year one to year five or wherever you're at right now um what uh how have 
have you or how have you um, adjusted your food plot strategy? So the original food plots that we cut in, parts of those are still there. All I did um, to fix the big wide open is build cover back in and shape them certain directions. So everybody's property lays out different. Most people want to go put a food plot in because there's an open area. Well, there's sunlight coming down here. This is a field. Let's just plant it here. Well, it's kind of backwards. If you can't, if you can't get to that spot or get out of that spot without busting deer, say there's a deer in your food plot and you have to walk across it to get to your tree stand. That's counterintuitive, right? Um, It seems simple, but a lot of times this is what happens. And then, so what I did was pretty much separate my access from the food plot where if there were deer out there, they can't see me come in and out because I'm back 50 yards over here behind all this brush that I've let grown up. I planted switchgrass, all that. And I'm downwind of them. They have no idea. So that's what I've done. And doing that has resulted in a lot less food. Uh, you know, you take an acre and you put a half, you know, half of it back into cover to hide yourself coming in. It may seem counterintuitive again, but at the same time, uh, the deer need that cover. So that's, that's all I've done there really. And I have extended the food kind of winding down through some cover back towards the woods down there where it was logged. Um, other than that, food is really, it's a staple. Um, but like you said, there's beans and corn right down the road. So to me, it's, it's important to have it, but I have other fish to fry in terms of priorities at, at this particular property. Some people like in Northern Michigan, um, or maybe the UP where your property is, we're going to talk about that. That might be a bigger hole in the bucket to fill there where down here, it's like, you're just competing with corn and beans. So it all depends on the property. And that's why we show up and walk and, and tell people, you know, kind of where they should start at least, um, in this whole marathon we call habitat work, you know? And so, um, I want to get into your hunts and, and everything, but I guess for completeness sake, if you Please were to, do. if you were to do it over again, like knowing what you know now, A, would you still buy the same property? And then B, how would you go about setting it up? And would it have taken five years to get to the point that it is now? I mean, I would have to assume that no matter what, you plan something. I mean, unless you're buying full-size trees and, you know, a lot of the stuff, some of it just takes time. You know, you... I don't think you can buy 12 foot mythicanthus and just put it there and say, okay, now I've got my screen. Like these things take time. Right. So how, how would you go about it? And I guess I would like to look at it from like guys that are just starting out or whatever, who are saying like, man, I'm really intrigued by the story. I mean, the guy kills two great bucks on this little piece of property, you know, it's laid out maybe similar to mine, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So I don't want to put a whole lot of money into it. I don't want to, you know, until I can start to see that first little tinge of success or, or or whatever. So kind of like from that perspective, like how would you set your property up? And then like maybe the most cost effective versus time intensive type things. Yes. So um, first things first, for anybody who wants to get into this, I urge you to do so. It's another very passionate 
uh, you know, thing that's it's a lot of fun and rewarding and truly is awesome to to shoot deer on your own property that you've turned into something cool. Like there's there's nothing better I'd rather do than that. You can bring me to Iowa and shoot 180 inch deer. Well, that would be really cool. I'm super proud of what I did this year. Um, and I urge everybody to try that. And, and if, if you need help, great. Uh, people can help, but most things grow back. So if time isn't an issue, you can try things and things will grow back. You got a tree down, trees grow back, take a while. Um, mow a food plot down, it takes a few years, you can grow cover back. So people should try it if they're interested. Um, but to your to answer your question, I would still have picked that property. Um, I would have not done a few different things. I would have got the logger in there or the forester in there right off the bat. Um, I, and that's what we do with our, with our land plan class, just because it's the most common thing I see. I would have planted less food and kept more cover that we mowed down easy. You know, those two things right there um, would probably knock maybe a year or two off this whole thing in terms of the five years. Apple trees. I put those in year one because I know best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago and I still don't have apples. So that hasn't helped me out yet, but that will in a few years, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, that's mainly the main things that I would do different right there. Other than that, I've put so much thought into it that I've, I've, I've tried to be pretty calculated with my decisions. Um, but, but that's it. If anything, I could knock down some time on that and maybe have gotten to this point a little sooner. That would have been nice. My whole goal is to, to buy a piece of property, spend five years on it. And by year five, you're either going to know you like it or you're going to know, okay, it's not working out here because of a neighbor or, or whatever. Um, then you're going to move on and maybe try something different and sell the property and, and buy something somewhere else. But that's kind of my plan. Um, I don't think I answered all your question though. Am I missing part of the question there? Well, I just wanted to say like, uh, all so, cost effective stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would still buy a high quality seed. Um, I use uh, killer food plots. My friend, Nick Percy owned that company just passed away, but that's, he's a high quality seed there. You can use stuff as, that's more cost effective from, from, uh, you know, grain bin somewhere, somewhere else, uh, you probably won't get the tonnage or maybe the germination rates that are the same. And, but, you know, if you're just getting out there and starting, use what you can afford, use what, you know, use something good though. Don't like, like read the seed tag. A lot of it will have rye grass in it and that'll grow and it'll look green. And you think you did something right, but it's not really palatable as much of the deer as say oats or, or clover or something else. I would start out with clover for anybody. That stuff is graze tolerant um it's pretty drought tolerant so everybody plants these food plots in the fall and if we don't get any rain there's a lot of mad food plotters out there well clover does really well and, and helps birds and bees and turkeys and bugs and everything else including deer so i'd recommend that for cost effectiveness and then sweat equity with a chainsaw chainsaw is one of my number one tools um everybody can probably has one or if not, you can go get one. And then getting that sunlight to the forest floor is huge. Um, took me a while to realize like that is the most important thing, but that is the most important thing is, is letting the sun get down the natural brows, the natives coming up, just letting mother nature do what she does. And um, don't try to fight it and 
playing all this other fancy stuff, just enhance what she's already doing and let that, you know, let that work for you. Don't try to steer the deer 180 degrees the other way, set up along their corridors and make them steer. You know, this second buck I shot here, I, he could have walked straight across my food plot that was there five years ago. And he would have been at 70 yards the whole time, way out of range. I got him to come up to within 20 yards of my tree stand towards me. And then he was about to go back the other way. It's kind of a big, you know, U shape. Well, I shot him at the tip of the U and all that was planned, all that. And, but I learned that. So like if I would have done that a couple of years ago or year one, instead of mowing it all down and trying to grow it back, maybe I'd see some results a little quicker. Okay. And then real quick, just because I think this may be something that I know that I have overlooked and I have, I've heard other people talk about, and I think maybe on your podcast or something, but when you talk about tonnage and I want to know from like your perspective or whatever, um, how important is it to like listen or read what the package says and do what it says? So it says like, oh, you're going to cover this much seed will cover five acres. And you're like, well, I only got like a quarter of an acre. I'm going to put all this seed out and I'm going to get way more, you know, all, more seed is going to be better. I'm going to grow more. Right. Nope. <laughs> nope. And, and, uh, and that I've, I've done that and I still, it's still hard for me to stop turning the spreader and be like, here's a little bit left. Just throw it out there. Like it's, it's just in us to just, I paid for it and be not, not as good next year. Just get it out there. But the seeds end up competing with themselves and don't grow as well and ended up and end up like stunting themselves, if you will. So you're actually hurting yourself by doing that. Um, very important to follow the, excuse me, the directions on the seed bag, but more importantly, like put a, we call them exclusion cages. Um, so everybody calls them. You put like a fence, like a four foot fence, five foot high, set in the middle of your food plot. And then, you know, some people think their clover is not growing or their, their rye grain is not growing. Then you go out there and you look in that exclusion fence where it's excluded from the rest of the food plot and the stuff's eight inches tall, 12 inches tall. Well, your deer are just hammering it, you know, they're keeping it down. So while you might not think, man, I suck at doing this or man, the soil's crappy or the seed sucks. You just got a lot of deer. Then you got to hammer some does, right? So there's so many different pieces to the puzzle and um, it's a little overwhelming at first, but it's really easy to start slow and just take it breath by breath and step by step. Um, that's, that's what I'd recommend. I definitely, yeah, definitely read the directions on the seat. Pack. Yeah. Just because you said that, I was like, that's something that triggered on me. Like, okay. Uh, I've done it, man. <laughs> so many times. So the way that this podcast kind of came about is, you know, I was on Jared's podcast last year after I shot my deer and, yep. um, you know, he shoots this deer on his, property and i'm like all right man like reciprocate come on well let's talk about it let's have this conversation and he's like okay cool i'm going to wisconsin he was going to ohio we'll have to see what's going on and then okay i'll get with you when i get back from wisconsin i get back from wisconsin he's got another deer down and it's like like the same deer like it's like you know big nice you know great looking buck and i'm like this motherfucker is supposed to be in Ohio. And he's like, Oh, went home shot one on my property again, tagged out in Michigan. I'm like, you have to be kidding me. So like, 
let's talk about your season here in Michigan and how like how you started uh, the season and, and and the first deer will go like from that perspective. Cool. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so like I mentioned, I have a wife and, and three kids and, and we're trying to get this podcast business off the ground. And then I have my other job and uh, I like to hunt and, you know, get all the, so time is, time is very limited for me. Um, I already push it enough as it is. And it's like, I did not, I hunted one time on an opening day uh, on a 40 acre lease I have up near uh, Fowlerville. Um, didn't, I, I pulled back on a doe, a sea dart, couldn't find my peep site, whatever that, that hunt was done. I like to shoot a doe off the bat sometimes. Well, I didn't get back out till the 16th of October. Uh, it was really hot, as you know, early season. And I was like, you know what? Get some stuff done around the house, put in brownie points, um, spend time with the kids. And I've been monitoring my trail cameras on this property. This is my fifth season. Um, I really started monitor monitoring them uh, two years ago. So this is my third season of really paying attention um, in terms of keeping them in the same spot, noticing patterns, that sort of thing. Well, something started to show last year that, okay, the year before you had a bunch of bucks showing up in daylight, not a bunch, a one or two in daylight, mid-October, like the 16th. 15th, 14th. I just remember the 15th being mid-October. Everybody calls it the lull. Well, you're this property, whatever that happens then. Um, normally, uh, we're we're doing something. So like last year, I'm like, all right, 15th, I'm going hunting. Awesome, cold front coming in. My wife's like, so is the camper ready to go? Because uh, you know this Halloween weekend thing and at this campground's coming up. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, we're going camping next weekend. I'm like, oh no. So I bought, I, you know, I botched that as a perfect cold front. Again, the pictures were there. It's an annual trail camera dead. I'm sure you've covered it on the show. Um, a lot, lots of people have, and, and, but I've never had it affect me before. It really has. <laughs> and they're not the same bucks, which a lot of people normally talk about. This is a different deer, but for some reason that property turns on at that time. Well, this year I wasn't ignoring it. I wrote on the calendar in like June, I'm like hunting this weekend X X and, uh, and we went camping the weekend before, so it was fine. And um, I slide out there on an evening hunt Saturday evening. It was cold. And I, I hunted uh, a stand kind of up towards the road, towards my vehicle where I park. And it was a good north wind, uh, northwest temp drop from the day before. The rain had just stopped. And and we talked about this on our podcast, 149.5, that episode um, called October indicators, like things to make you think that maybe you should get out in the woods. We recorded that on, on a Friday, no, a Thursday. And then, so I was going hunting that weekend. I, I told my buddy, Jim, I'm like, I'm going out. It looks good. Let's try it. I saw a bunch of deer that night, like 17, I think on the 15 acres. And, uh, I can only see from my tree stand at, at that spot, about two, two and a half acres. And, I passed a couple little bucks. I passed some does, which is hard because I didn't shot one yet. You know what I'm talking about. And I saw this, I heard this tree getting raked and I saw a big body deer step out right at dark further towards my, my swamp, my eight acre woods, I call it where the loggers were last year. And I thought, okay, I should have sat that stand. I'll, I'll, um, 
I'll back out of here and, and get in there tomorrow morning. Well, I snuck out. No deer heard me, knew I was there. Nothing. 17. They kind of move through, move on. Well, the next day is Sunday. Um, the 17th is pretty warm. And I decided I'm going back there anyways. And, uh, you know, it was a great day to hang out or barbecue or something like that. I almost called it. I'm like, you know, it's too nice. I'm like, you know, you said you were just go. And sure enough, I saw some bucks sparring that night. The moon was high in the sky. Um, some bucks were sparring. It was like 60 degrees. I passed a little eight point and some does. Um, I moved into where I thought that buck was and I hung us. I trimmed a tree for my saddle, uh, last year, but I never hunted it. I'm hunting, uh, I'm using the latitude this year as well. Um, I really like that saddle and my first time using it, I get up there early. It's really windy. And I saw, you know, like I said, I saw a couple of small things, this and that, and right at dark, the wind died. And I could just hear it get quiet, very quiet. And you hear, I start hearing footsteps from a couple of different directions. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Um, and sure enough, the first thing that popped in was, was this buck. All I could see were the real nice main beams and G2s and G3s. I'm like, he's, he'll do, you know, I'm not, I'm not super, super picky. I just want to shoot usually three-year-olds if I can. And he was big, big bodied, um, walked in, he walked right into my, my food plot munched on the brassicas real quick and then walked right to a mock scrape that I had made right in front of me at like 10 yards. And I, so I, I'm in my saddle, I'm facing the tree Well, he's coming in on my weak side and I'm still trying to learn how to shoot the weak side. So what I did was I stood up and turned all the way around on my little tethered platform and just hugged the tree and then drew back and shot like you're in a tree stand. Mm -hmm. Um, ended up hitting him quartering away hard sounded like a gut shot. So it's like a real soft, you know, thud instead of a whack. I'm like, Oh no. So he runs out in front of me at 12 o'clock stands there, walks in another shooting lane broadside at, at 20 yards. I shot him like 10 yards. I'm, I could not get my arrow out of my quiver and get it on that bow to save my life. I'm shaking, you know, like a leaf in that tree and fine. And he's like looking around, like, you know, here's something. And, um, he starts to go away from me on my neighbors and I hit him again with a second arrow finally. And he ends up wheeling around to my three o'clock. So I shot, I shot him at nine, shot him again at 12. He wheels to my three o'clock and then starts um, laying down, standing up, laying down to, to belabor a long story. Uh, it, he ended up expiring, you know, there and the woods went silent. And, uh, I, again, wasn't sure how I hit him. So I sat there in my saddle and my tree stand for two hours in the dark, <laughs> just, just listened for any noise, anything for him to get up, never got up. Um, I was on the phone with a dog tracker and he's like, you know what? You just might want to back out to be safe. You know, it d- doesn't sound like, you know, exactly where you hit him, get the arrow and get out. And that's what I did. And the arrow looked pretty good. Um, he was there the next day, went back, there's laying right there. And, uh, he was actually laying right next to one of those treetops that I talked about earlier in this episode that we left. Um, his second bed was in that bed of the treetop. And then he, the second time he got up, he stumbled and crashed and died. But he was, I mean, there was a deer bed, you know, 50 yards from my tree stand where we put that top there from the loggers and just didn't touch it and let him bed there. So that was kind of cool. And my arrow came in 
high and back and went through um, one lung and then cut the top of the aorta going to the heart, cut that part way um, and then came out. So he was dead deer, but um, it was, it was pretty awesome. We found him the next day he ended up big nine point with the split G2 um, probably 18 inch spread. Uh, I don't, I don't really score my deer all that much or really care too much. I just like shooting old deer uh, and he's about 130 inch eight point, a little split G2 on there. So I was more than tickled, more than tickled to shoot that buck. Um, and then, you know, so early being where the 19th of October, that was cool too. You know, a lot of people were October low or whatever you want to say. Um, I obviously had something there that he liked and that he was coming to check or whatever it was the the food plot, the scrape, the whole setup. He felt comfortable there. Is, I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, and then I just slid in there as, as stealthy as I could. So that one worked out. Yeah. A couple things. Um, one of the questions that I, that came up there um, is so you got 15 acres um, you talked about multiple blinds and multiple stand sites. Um, you have a known predominant wind. How many, uh, stands, let's call all of them stands. Sure. Um, do you have set up and are they set up for different winds or how are, how are your locations dispersed throughout the property? I have six that are set up. And they're all set up for a west or a northwest or a north. Every one of them. Um, I have two other trees that are set up for south or east. Uh, but I go in there with a saddle at that time and I climb. and Or, you know, I've, I've used a hang-on or whatever in the past, portable tree stand. Um, but six hard sets that are, that are there to pick from. Uh, I, I firmly believe in deer pattern us more than we pattern them. So what I tried this year was just being mobile, even among my set stands. Don't hunt a stand more than, you know, once before you move on and throw something totally different at them. You know, don't, don't let them figure it out. I did buck bedded last year under one of my tree stands. I hadn't sat that stand, but he knew where my access was. And I kept using the same access every time. Sure enough, five yards off my, my walking trail, you know, he's big rub, big bed right there. So start thinking about how these bucks bed and, and, and what you would do if you were a buck to try to save your butt. All right. Well, I know this guy parks over here and walks through here every time, or they might not think exactly like that, but you start to kind of put it together where I have to keep them guessing. So this year I was like, I'm going to hunt mobile in my saddle all over my private property. Screw setting up stands. And, and setting up any more stands, I'm just going to bounce around and be mobile. And I mean, out of all the deer that I've killed that are on the wall, 90% of them are probably first sits in a spot. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And that kind of transitions into um, another thing that I just wanted to mention in there. And it seems kind of, I don't want to say counterintuitive, but it, you know, people talk about the October low and guys that kill big bucks say bullshit on that. And the reality of it is, is that these deer don't disappear in the middle of October. Um, but in your situation and you said, you know, maybe you 
you know, you obviously had something there that the deer wanted. Well, those deer had cover and they didn't have anybody pushing them around. So, you know, for us that, you know, don't necessarily have that situation, maybe we can be looking to where aren't these deer being pushed around or where would they have all the things that they need in mid-October so that they don't have to go where we expect them to be in November, you know, mid-October. If you're hunting your rut funnels or whatever, you know, pinch points on October 15th, you know, those deer probably aren't moving through there, you know, at that time of year. So it just kind of, you know, when you said, you know, the October lull, well, if you don't go in there until mid-October, those deer have been, you know, what, nine months of, you know, sanctity outside of you going in there and look at this guy, he's cutting down more trees, he's spreading more seed, like, what the heck is this guy doing, you know? he's not you're not trying to kill him at that point right no you're exactly right and and a lot of my deer don't show up until you know september october when i first started it was end of october i get the first buck i'd shoot out there um this year it was like september 21st so if you build the habitat they they come earlier but i'm lucky enough on this property to where they're out in those bean fields all summer long i'm not pushing deer cutting trees or planting food plots they're not there there might be a doe family or two there, but um, whether you're in my situation, whether you're in, you have your own 40 acres and they're there all the time situation, or whether you're on public land, which we talk about, looking for that spot that you, you, you mentioned it perfectly, the spot that they have all this stuff, whatever type of area that is, habitat, Dan Infall, he always calls it the red brush, right? That's where he finds this area where there's no pressure, there's browse, there's cover, um, wherever you are, if you can find that spot or in my case, create that spot or not screw up that spot, that's where they're going to be. Cause yeah, you're right. They don't disappear in October and just come back in November. They're there. We just got to not let them know that we're there. Mm-hmm. Now you, there was one situation in there that you didn't mention, um, of all of those things. And, uh, one of our patrons, Jason, he said, ask the habitat guy this question. Uh, he's got 40 acres now. His, his dad does 25 of it. It sounds like are like field. So they had 15 like little patchy woods. And he said that the bucks summer there, but when it gets to hunting season time, they're gone. So why would a deer do that? Or is it just pressure? You know, so they're never that there's never anybody there kind of the the inverse of what we were talking about, you know, there's never anybody there. And then all of a sudden come hunting season, you're, you're pushing them out. So how do you, would you deal with that kind of situation um, from, from that standpoint when they're there all summer and then they're gone as soon as you want to hunt them? That's frustrating. And we've had a lot of our, our clients talk about that and, and what happens there, a couple of different things. It could be, it could be what you said there where the pressure is not there all summer. And then all of a sudden, September comes, trail cameras go out, scents all over the place. These older bucks don't have patience for that. They're gone. Um, in other states, maybe you're good, but in our state, they're a little bit schizophrenic, a little crazy. But And the other thing is summer habitat, like goldenrod and um, certain tall grasses that are great for cover, 
as soon as fall gets, you get a frost or two, that stuff starts falling over and, and gets really low to the ground. It's not the cover that it was in the summer. Leaves fall. Um, crops come out. Things change. And that's where if you're having that, first of all, every property is different. So you want to you know, get somebody out there and take a look at it and try to see that sort of thing, what exactly it could be. But um, the main contributors, I would say, would be pressure change of habitat in terms of what's there um and then maybe some crops but like if so if it's all switchgrass all summer that's not going to fall over in october november um maybe those bucks will leave but i'm thinking another buck or two will come in because they you know they all shift in september some of them do um i think you have to have in michigan you have to have the cover and i'd be curious to see what that patchy woods look like what that field looks like etc how much cover is really there um just because if they had everything they need they probably wouldn't leave mm-hmm. okay yeah i just wanted to to bring that up because you said <laughs> yeah have him have a message me i'd be happy to look at it you know i'd be serious i'd love this stuff so perfect okay so then you you shoot this deer and you're going to ohio and like i said it, it was like it was like you didn't even go to ohio because all of a sudden you you shot one here so when you went to ohio how'd that go yeah um after i shot that deer um my, my wife or some of my family like you, are you done hunting you got one i'm like eh, not quite <laughs> doesn't um, work that way yeah, yeah try shooting elk. they're like oh you don't need to go hunting at all <laughs> good call maybe i won't go elk hunting next year then and uh so i'm on this i'm on this lease in ohio with my co-host of the podcast brian and um my buddy Corey, and then three other guys so we have six of us on 130 acres um kind of a lot um, but it's in Muskingum County. It's a great area. There's terrain and, uh, it's Ohio. We're going to have fun. Um, Brian's got a shipping container. He, he moved to the property. We turned it into a little cabin. You know, we were down there sleeping. It was like 32 degrees when we woke up inside that thing one morning, but it's, uh, all, all good fun. And so I kind of broke Michigan off. Um, I said, I'm, I'm good here for a little while. I had a one more morning hunt on my property. Uh, Cause I was still getting some good bucks on, on camera, but it didn't work out. And then I took off right after Halloween and left November 1st to go down there for a couple of days. I was going to hunt down there the first through the fifth and then come back. So went down there. Um, weather was great. It was cool. There was no wind. So it was very, very quiet. All the leaves were dry. Sound like a freight train walking through the woods. Um, I think that hurt us. And then uh, it just wasn't on yet. Like there wasn't any running activity. We had some bucks daylighting. But they were just walking around. They weren't behind does. Um, it was really just like it hadn't kicked off yet. So I'm sitting there all week having a great time. We're just hanging out. Um, and then I'm just getting daylight picture after daylight picture after daylight picture on my 15 acres going, oh, my goodness. You know, what am I going to? I'm going to break the news to these guys and I'm going to leave Ohio and go back to Michigan. Like that sounds stupid. Um, and, and so we spent a day, I was going to leave the day before that on Wednesday. So I would have had been there two full days of hunting at that point. I already knew I was ready to go. And, but we started insulating the tin can, we call it camp tin can. So I, I stayed there late. We, we put all the insulation up and I hunted there that night. And then the next morning again, um, had a couple small bucks, but nothing crazy. I'm like, all right, well, I'll leave after the morning hunt. I'll drive straight to my property five hours away. 
and then I'll hunt there and then I'll be home, you know, for kids bedtime and, and work on Friday. Sure enough, I uh, recorded a podcast on the road on the way home about moon faces and this and that. And the dude was like, it's going to be a good day today. I'm like, I hope you're right because I'm heading that way. And and I get there about 2.30, get up in the tree. I didn't go back as deep where I shot that other buck because I wanted to be able to see far and maybe call if I had to and call one in if I, if I could. I was over a, a mock scrape I made that was just tore up um, food plot pinch point that, that I created. Like I said before, it was a big open rectangle. Now I made it like a, like a V or a U, if you will. Um, the bottom or the tips of the V are very wide and a lot of food Then it narrows down a little trail through cover to connect both ends of the V and right at that tip of that V is where my mock scrape is, my camera, my water hole, my tree stand, my cover to get in. And I got up in that tree about 2.30 and I was looking around and I had nine rubs within 20 yards of my tree that were not there last year. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a good sign. Something's working through here. The scrape that I made was there. Um, and I look across, way across my other food plot that I mowed down year one as well. And there's a, a two-year-old eight point working in a little scrape. Um, and so I was like, all right, bucks are on their feet. That's great news. And then I have cameras all over this thing too, right? So I got a bunch of cell cameras that I monitor without stepping foot on the property. Again, it's a whole pressure thing. It's um, it's a really big deal to me. So I get this picture on my camera way back to by where that my first buck died of a really nice buck. And it's 445. It doesn't get dark till seven. And I'm like, huh. Like if, I was, if I was sitting in my saddle stand that I shot that first nine point out of, I'd have had an arrow in him by now. Like it was right there. The wind was good, everything. So I just waited and waited. I'm like, should I call? Should I not call? I know he's right over there. Maybe I should call. You know, all that stuff that starts going through your head when you're excited. And, and what do you know? He walks up to the edge of that food plot that I, the, the tip of that V that's still pretty big and open. Um, and he stands there and looks around and you see his rack moving. I'm like, oh, that's a nice deer. And he turns around and walks away. He walked to the edge of that food plot. Like I talked about in the beginning of this episode, he looked around, didn't see anything he liked and walked away. I grunted nothing. He looked at me a couple of times. I wouldn't, wouldn't come back. I snort wheeze again. He stopped and looked, wouldn't come back. I'm like, well, I just threw the kitchen sink at him. He's going to blow out if I do anything else. Um, and it's so early. So maybe there's something else come by. I don't know. Well, the neighbors were to the property North of me putting in cattle in their field that abuts up to my property and they're banging a fence and their kids are hooting and hollering and this and that. And that deer walked right up towards them through this thicket. I imagine, um, didn't pay a mind in the world to them. I was kind of bummed. That's what happens on small property. That's why like 15 acres, it's one of your negatives there. Your neighbors are right on top of you. Um, and then I saw a couple of does come out in that same far food plot about 5.30. And uh, I get another picture off my pinch point camera by the road, right by the road. Um, and it's that buck. And he's coming back onto my property from across the street. Like, yeah, this guy's just cruising. And I'm like, he's either going to come down by me or he's going to like, he's gonna come to the big food plot and, and work the V that I've been talking about, 
or he's going to go back to where those does were, start chasing him around, and maybe he'll chase the does over here, and I'll get a shot. Well, next thing I know, I look out, and he's in the middle of my brassica food plot, just mowing the brassicas. We've been blessed this year with rain. Um, I planted them early. They were big and nice and lush, and I fertilized them afterwards, so they look really good. And he was just out there just mowing. And I thought, okay, if he's in that trail and he sees those does, I'm in trouble. The does are far away from me at this point. 100 yards, he's at like 60 yards to my right. And he's at the tip of the V. He needs to come down to the base of it. And I put a wall of cover of screening. It's, it's an annual screen. That's what I made the V with. The stuff grows 14 feet tall. It's like sorghum mix. It's called Border Patrol. I made that wall, and all he did was he just worked and fed along that wall and said, all right, had enough to eat, and just walked perfectly right along the wall that I planted, right to the scrape at 28 yards, um, ignored the scrape, walked right by it, and gave me a, a slightly quartering two shot about 25 yards. Um, I drew back once I knew it was coming because I knew he's either going to He's coming this way. If he's already right there, he's committed to coming this way. It's the path of least resistance. He has no idea I'm here. And yeah, I, I drew back. He walked in front of me. Matt, 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 Matt. He wouldn't stop. And uh, I let the arrow go on his shoulder and hit him way back in the liver. And um, he ran out to where I very first saw him at the opposite tip of the V where he came out of the swamp and bedded down right there. Um, tipped his head over like he was laying down, got up with his head, did that three times, and then stood up after like 15 minutes. I'm just freaking out. He walks 10 feet looking like a hurt unit and then uh, ended up laying down there in bed. And so I snuck out of there too that night. He was dead there in that same spot the next, the next morning. Um, and he was bigger than the other one I shot in terms of mass. He is also a nine point with a split G2. But he's got like way more blades and, and uh, way more mass, some cool curvature to his tines. The other one was a pretty clean looking eight point with a split. This one is all kinds of goofy and weird, and nice and beautiful. And um, yeah, I'm just super blessed and pumped. And that was November 4th. So I drove home from Ohio and got in the tree. And that was that was that, I guess, you know, just it's crazy. It's just it's awesome. So one of the things in there um, is a great, um, I guess, outline of the actual habitat and how you kind of made that happen. Now, I'm going to go out of left field here and say, obviously, you're using them and you're, you know, committed and they've, they were a big part of that hunt. Um the ethics of cellular trail cameras and then um, the, I, I guess the like mental side of using uh, cellular trail cameras just in the sense of like, y it could have been really easily like you'd have been on your phone, you'd have been farting around. You just said, you know, I got to get home to the kids, you know, your wife's texting you or whatever. You didn't know that deer was right up by your truck. You know what I mean? Like right up by your access. Um, so you have both like the benefits, you know, of that, but like, how has that changed the way that you hunt? Or do you think that because it's such a small property, you're, 
you can use them more effectively, say, than on like a 240 acre property. It doesn't really do me any good to know that they're a quarter of a mile away or like whatever. Like on some level on 15 acres, like if you were to rattle right there, like a deer can hear it if they're on your property, you know? Yeah. Great, great point. Um, I think that the fact that I don't step on my property to check a camera is the number one and only reason that I use them. Um, I would have, I don't rattle too often in Michigan. I, I think I would have been observant enough on each of those. Well, I mean, the first one I didn't see on camera, but this buck and the second buck um, to where I would have been paying attention and seeing him both times, complete, being completely honest, God's honest truth. I do. Uh, but I, I was ready. Correct. Like I, I had a step up on, um, and I think that, yeah, you can be on your phone. You can, you can be taking a nap. You can be doing whatever you want to do. That's just comes down to who you are and your commitment. Uh, I, I, on my phone all the time, I'm guilty. Um, but when it's November 4th and there's bucks starting to move at two 30, I mean, you probably shouldn't be on your phone too much. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was thinking. And, but yeah, no, I, I had, I had some Intel, um, but he, he was cruising and that I think is what was part of his downfall as well. He was either in between does or, or something. I didn't think I had any pictures of him, but I had one from two days before my neighbor had a couple of them. I think that was part of his downfall as well. Uh, cause I didn't expect to shoot a buck till, you know, the last hour, let alone six o'clock or, or yeah, about five forty-five, six o'clock, an hour before dark. Um, he felt comfortable. He felt comfortable moving through there. He felt comfortable looking for does. Um, he knew I wasn't gonna be, you know, walking around right at 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 dark. He knew the neighbors were already doing that. He knew not to go up there. Um, a, just a great, uh, you know, just compilation of things that kind of all worked out together at that right time. Um, as far as ethics on cellular cameras. That doesn't bother me. Yeah, no. Well, I use them too. Um, you know, they're available and, you know, it's it's one of those things where now that it's available, now that the price has come down, mm-hmm. um, I, I would think that anybody that runs any sort of trail camera is going to have at least one cell camera and it's like as soon as you have one cell camera, you're like, why, do, why don't I have all of them as cellular <laughs> cameras? Kid. Because... I don't want to go back out there and check it and do all this stuff. And, you know, what I've said on here before, and I say it like a lot in jest, but what you're talking about of year over year, like I knew that October 25th, I was going to start to have cameras up in this public spot where my cell cam is. And I was driving home from Colorado and it was like these bucks are showing up there and there's nothing that I could do about it. But like realistically the, or maybe it was what, right when I just got home, my wife's like, you're not going hunting because you just <laughs> have been gone for 11 days. Yes, um, sir. But, uh, but it's like, there's people that I would say were like trail camera enthusiasts. Right. So, look at all these bucks that I have on camera at three in the morning. Like, look at this big one, look at this big one, but they're not doing anything with the information or there's guys that are like, have like a spreadsheet and like have mug shots of all these bucks. Like they might not be named, but this is, 
October 15th, last year and this year. Um, and so I know that these things start to happen. Um, and I think with cellular trail cams, you don't have to go out there every two weeks or every week or, you know, every time you pass by the camera or whatever to, to get that information. Now, you know, my personal experience is like, I might not get the best picture, the high res, like whatever, but if you can tell how big a buck is, like if, if you can see big forks and it's past his ears, like it doesn't really matter at that point because I'm not picking and choosing you know, like, oh, that one probably is 155 and a quarter, and I don't shoot them unless they're 160 and five eighths. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, that's, no. Not, that's not it. Um, but it was just interesting because, like I said, when you said, oh, he's out there by the road, I'm just thinking of the scenarios. You're like, well, my buck has already walked past me. It's a small property, blah, blah, blah. But the way that you've got it set up and the, I think that that in and of itself, like, gives you the confidence to say, you know, it's set up this way for a reason. These deer are going to be here. Like if you build it, they will come in, in such a way. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not, not trying to be braggadocious or, or cocky at all. Cause that's not my personality. I, but to your point that my road spot is not bad. That's a good funnel up there. Um, it's a dirt road. The deer cross it. Like it's not even a road sometimes. Um, and they pass through my property. It's a pass-through property. They don't stick around long. And I know that. So I know that, okay, if I sit here long enough um, and what I've created around here, something should, at this time of year, something should swing in and maybe I can see him and grunt at him or, or whatever. And when that didn't work and he came back around, well, he came back around for a reason. I don't know. The neighbor didn't have any does or something and he came back. I, I'm not positive. I just know that Next thing you know, he's eating that food plot and it's like, okay, well, he likes what's going on here. I know that much. Um, and I know that if he's standing in there and starts walking this way, he's going to come right here because of, of the pinch that I made there. And it's like, does it always work out that perfect? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when it does, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you can't, you can't be like, yeah, it was a, it was an okay day. You know, you said no. you saw a bunch of different bucks. He got a, got your second deer off your property you tagged out on your same property you left what a michigan guy would say is you know one of the bigger buck states or whatever yeah. you know easy easy to well, access you know. for us um and then to show up you know come back and fill your michigan tag on a deer you would have probably killed down there um you know is is huge so um yeah thank you i mean how how did your hunting party react um when because you, you you were trying to figure out how you were going to break it to them that you were going to leave how did they react when you sent them the photos or whatever uh one guy one guy goes uh he goes what are the what are the um violation fees for hunting in michigan as out-of-state resident <laughs> <laughs> or a, a non-resident you know if i could be there tomorrow i'm like you know, come on up, buy a tag. I don't think, I don't think the tags are too expensive. I don't recall, but, um, and you know, just congratulatory, you know, they understand it. The lease is good. The lease has got a ton of bucks on it. It's going to happen. Um, it, yeah, it's just, it wasn't happening at that time. And, and it's hard for me with my limited time to, to stick around, uh, extra long. If, if again, those cell cameras are, are telling me otherwise, mm -hmm. um, 
I guess I was more asking if they were like surprised or like congratulatory, like that sort of thing. Like, 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 uh, Oh, there's probably a, like there's maybe, probably an MF in there, you know, a couple <laughs> MFers and you know, like, screw that guy. Like you were right. You knew it. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. A couple of them, you know, you call that you're, you, it's right where it was. And, and, uh, and it's, it's just fun. It's, it's, um, that's why we do all this stuff and, and to have your plan, workout after all the years of hard work is, is great. And, and it's even, it's cool. That it's on 15 acres. It's cool. It's in Michigan. It's cool. That I left Ohio to go do it. It's just, it's been, a, I'm still celebrating. Like it's been fun. And to be able to, to help out, you know, like you and, and your UP property. And we want to talk about that and things like to go help others. I had a buddy in Ohio sent we, Brian and I worked on a property down there. Um, he sent me a beautiful 10 point he shot yesterday morning. Um, another guy got his daughter, his first, her first deer, a giant buck on 25 acres in Kentucky, 25 acres. Um, this stuff works like it, it works. And then to be able to like do it yourself on your own ground is just very rewarding. And I'm blessed and just pumped. Like you, like it, you can't piss in my Cheerios this season. There's no way. <laughs> So, so if anybody wants to reach out to you for like help with habitat work, they want the free information from the podcast. They want, you know, they, they want to congratulate you, whatever. Um, how do they go about that? What's the best place to, uh, to reach you? I appreciate that, Adam. Thank you. Um, we are at habitatpodcast.com. Uh, very simple as the name of our podcast. You can find it on, on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. Um, that's the best way we have our, our podcast up there, 150, something of them. We have some blog posts, we have some videos, Instagram, YouTube, all that stuff too. Um, giving us some feedback on what you like, what you don't like. And, um, yeah, if you need help in your property, we can do that too. So that's, that's really enjoyable to walk out and walk a farm with somebody and hear their side of the story and then help them. It's just, it's awesome. So Habitat Podcast. Thank you. Awesome. I think that's all we got. We can close this one out, Jared, but I do uh, appreciate it. So so thanks for being Thank on. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Adam. Recording stopped. <laughs>